All right, so today, screen time. Um, we're going to approach this topic kind of from, uh, I'm not going to say, hey, turn your Bible to this verse. We're going to pop around and hit some verses that are going to be in there. Um, but we're going to kind of approach this from a systematic perspective. So have your Bible or your app ready, but don't necessarily think I've got to be in one spot. Um, for those of you who don't know, I think maybe all of you know at this point in time, I've talked about it with a couple of you guys, my wife and I recently decided to become foster parents. Uh, we've had two kiddos in our care to this point. We had an eight-year-old girl, and then for a week or so, uh, about a week and a half ago till earlier this week, we had a seven-week-old baby in our house. Um, and my youngest is six, and I'd forgotten a lot about what it means to have a seven-week-old baby in your house. Um, because they're cute, but that's just a mask uh, for the pain and discomfort they're going to bring to your life. Um, and one thing I, you know, I realized about when you have a, a baby in the house, you know, there's a supply and demand thing that happens that shift your priorities and your mission. And suddenly sleep becomes a really big deal. Everybody, how many of y'all, when y'all meet a new parent, you're like, or when you're talking to a friend and you're like, how are you sleeping, right? That's the first question you ask them because you know, like things break down. Like there are laws in the Geneva Convention about how much you have to let somebody sleep. You can't, like there are, it is an illegal method of torture to deprive someone of sleep. And so, so obviously as a dad, one way you do this is you help to think through like, all right, can I take the early shift or the late shift of the evening with the baby so that my wife can get a little bit of extra sleep? You want to maximize her sleep. But you really want to maximize that baby's sleep. That baby has got to sleep. And, what that, and they sleep all throughout the day, you know, in little chunks. And what that does is it means that when that baby is sleeping or might be sleeping, if you don't know, that becomes suddenly the family mission. We all need to make sure that baby's sleeping. And I've, I've, this is an approach I've taken to parenting with my kids, especially my boys, is... What's the mission? What's the end goal? What are we trying to advance here? And is what you're doing, like if you just have a decision to make, think is this going to move us towards the end goal of the mission or is it going to hurt the mission? Is it going to help or hurt? Well, with a sleeping baby, it's like everything. It's like, man, I need to unload the dishwasher, but I might make too much noise doing that. That's got to wait. I, you know, it could be, or what I make for breakfast depends on whether the baby's sleeping or not. Or do I, you know, listen to something or watch something or how quiet I am when I walk in the door. It's like everything runs through this filter of mission. Is this going to advance the mission of the baby sleeping or is it going to detract from the mission of the baby sleeping? Is it going to move us closer to the goalpost of good sleep or is it going to move us away uh, from the goal of good sleep for this baby? And when we have a clear mission like that, it makes decisions. It, first of all, it makes us think about things we didn't necessarily ever think about. And it also helps us to make decisions. In light of that, I want to look at screen time because screen time is a thing that we don't think of as this big, like, sacred thing. What we watch on TV, we don't think of this sacred element of this, or, or it's not a spiritual idea often. Um, but with that in place, we have to remember that I have a game plan, I have a plan. You know, my wife and I, I talked about this at DD, you know, early in the summer. We made a life plan. And we run things through this filter of, hey, does this advance the plan or does this detract from the plan? So as a Christian, I need to know, hey, I have a mission that I'm on. And is the thing that I'm going to do 
going to advance this mission or detract from the mission. Now, some of these things, it's like, it could be about simple things, like obvious things, like, should I get up and pray or not? Well, what's going to advance the mission and what's not going to advance the mission? Um, should I go to church on a Sunday morning? Is that going to advance the mission? Some of these things are really obvious. Should I do this sin? Is that going to advance? But some things that are like relatively or can, be, can seem amoral, if you will, it's hard to figure out, if, like, where does that divide? Does that advance the mission or not? So I want us to look at what the Christian's mission is, and then I want us to run, set up a, a kind of a, that mission-based filter I talked about of that mission, and, I'm, and we're going to run how we do screen time through that filter, and we're going to think through just a few categories. There's a lot that, that you could do with this, but I've just got three that I picked because they're alliterative, um, and we're going to talk through how I decide on these three, how I use these three elements of my screen media consumption uh, to decide if it's going to further the mission or not. Um, so what's a Christian's mission? Uh, and, and I picked this verse specifically. You could answer this question a dozen different ways. I picked this verse because it involves something that we, another thing that we don't often think of as a spiritual thing, which is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Like how often do we think about our dinner as a spiritual moment in a way that we're going to uh, advance the glory of God. Uh, John Piper has a famous article called uh, Drinking Orange Juice to the Glory of God. Uh, we don't think of our food as something, or our drink, as something that we can glorify God with. But Paul seems to think that we can. And so then I ask, all right, so how do I glorify God in what I do? And so I, I think we can we can process screen time. We can put in that same, that's in the whatever you do category right there. So whether you eat or drink or whether you watch TV or whether you read a book or whether you go on a vacation or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So then the next question, we, we, we've just kicked the can down the road a little bit here because the next question is, well, how do I do these things to the glory of God? What, what does it mean for me? Like God is eternally glorious, how do I do something to or for his glory? Um, how do I maximize his glory in the earth when his glory fills the earth? And that's what I'm reminded that when we talk about magnifying God or maximizing God um, or advancing his purposes, we can think of this as, as a magnification, like a telescope or a microscope, right? A microscope takes something that's really tiny and makes it look bigger, Okay. We are not magnifying God's glory in what we do in how, like a magnifying glass. We are more like a telescope. We are taking something that's enormous, but not easily seen by everyone and making it easier to see. Does that make sense? So we're not taking a little thing and making it bigger. We're taking a big thing and making it more apparent. Um, God made us for that purpose, and he did it. In Genesis 1.26, when he makes us, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now stop. Kings in ancient days would build statues of themselves or emperors and kind of place them around their kingdoms. Like, hey, this is what I look like. In case you weren't aware of it, I'm awesome. So imagine how awesome I am and just feel in awe of me, right? This claiming of the land God does that by making image bearers of himself and placing us in the earth to fill the earth. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God put us out here 
as displays of his glory. We are called to reflect and bear his image and to glorify him in that way. So then how do we do that? That's the real question. How does that, how do I display God's image in the earth, especially when it comes to something like what I eat for breakfast or what I watch on TV? So I'm going to go walk through three simple things in which media consumption or media creation can reflect God's glory. And I want us to use these little lenses of what we look through uh, and what we watch to see, hey, how can I reflect God's glory in these three specific ways? Uh, Y'all get the game plan here? Um, The first is craft. So the very first thing in the Bible that God does is makes. He crafts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, God's doing a couple things here. He is creating the heavens and the earth. But he's also creating the act. Hey, Cliff. I didn't leave you enough. There's notes on the table, Cliff. (sighs) On the table. I put them there myself. So God creates the universe. And in that moment, not only does he create the universe, but he creates the act of creation in that universe. You follow me? So creation in this universe didn't happen until God made it. And then he said, I am a creative God. He creates a universe and creates the act of creation and continues to create things. As image bearers, we are called to create like God creates. We are called to make things. That's part of our, especially men, our vocational call. We make things. We do things. We're productive. You know, whether you make things with words or make things with things, we're creators in a way that images God as a creator. But then in Genesis 1, 4, 10, 12, 18, 21, 35, 31, sorry, 25, 31, do y'all know what God says in those verses? If I just had to ask you what he says about stuff. It's good. God looks at this. It's good. Looks at this. It's good. That's, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. And in that moment, God's creating judgment. God is judging what he's made. Now, that seems like it may be an unfair contest. If you get to judge your own creation, I give it an A. Uh, but if you're the eternal God who is the determinant of what actually is good, you get to do this. And it's not moral judgment. It's like, not like, hey, those trees are morally okay, or those seas are morally good. What he's saying is these things are well-crafted. There is a craft to what God has made. He has taken time and intricacy. Again, food didn't have to taste good. Mountains didn't have to be pretty. God made a universe that is good and beautiful because he wanted to, because that reflected something in his character. As his image bearers, we are called to create and to assess what is created and to gravitate towards what is good and beautiful. Okay? What is good and beautiful. Now listen, I understand there is subjectivity to art. You go to a museum with me, I might like some things, you might like some things. I might like some kinds of music, you might like some kinds of music. Um, There is a degree of subjectivity that's involved here. However, we all know, let's just be real with each other. We all know when something is well done and when it's hastily thrown together or cheaply made. We all know this. There is, God put that in you. You know 
the difference between good and garbage, okay? And as a dad, if you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing, you don't have hours upon hours to stare at a screen. Your time that you can spend in front of media is limited. Don't waste it on junk. Don't waste it on garbage. Um, Your family might have a little more time. Put good things in front of them. Put good content in front of your kids. Do the work, the research, curation of good things to put in front of your family. Um, you know, so I hear somebody mention a show. I'll watch an episode of a show before I tell my kids about it. Be like, hey, is this any good? Like, we're getting, we'll get to character later, but like, was this well done? Is this truth, goodness, and beauty? Is there something here that is redeemable, that, that is delightable? Um, it is. It gives you the chance to give your family well-curated yeses instead of no's or I don't know's because we're afraid. Can I watch this? Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't want to make a mistake. Um, we can give our family good choices when we do the work of research and creation on the front end. That's part of what you do. In the same way that you would look on the back of a you know, package of food you buy to see if it's garbage or not. Same deal. We... That's part of our job. As the providers for our family, we provide them with entertainment. We provide them with with things to look at, and we get to determine what's good. It drives me nuts when I hear dads uh, talk about their kids watching stupid things on TV. That is like one of my pet peeves. I'm like, don't don't you know you get to pick that? Like you, whose TV is that? Like, not to be a bully and a tyrant, but like, man, help your kids. Help them find good things. Look, I'll be honest. Like, there are more often than not, especially this past year, I feel like I should have been down there instead of talking. I'm glad I was for most of these things because I feel like I have not been world-class dad this year. Um, but one of my badges of honor is that this is something that I've, I've executed well in. Um, my kids have a sense for and a visceral reaction to garbage TV. Uh, we, were, we were on vacation and we're in a hotel room and we were watching a show that my kids like and that is well-crafted. And then another show came out on afterwards. And you know these like mass created like CGI shows that it's just like, like CGI has become so much cheaper now. They can throw these things together like that. And the animation's not quite right. And it's the same like stock, like narrative every episode. It's the same problem and the same song. And, and my kids just had like a, a spidey sense about it. And they were like, this, this is garbage TV. And they laugh at it. Like, they literally mock it. And I'm like, good. Like, you see what is good and what is garbage. And I'm sorry to any of you Paw Patrol fans in here, but I'm just saying, like, there's good TV and there's not. There's good movies and there's not. Uh, even, like, good books, by the way. Like, my, my daughter read a book and loved it. And it was turned into a movie. And within five minutes of it being on, she was like, this isn't good. Like, she could just tell the craft of it was off. Um, your kids need a sense for that. And it's your job to help them with that. Even more important than craft is character. Because while craft can be somewhat subjective, character is not. Character is objective. We become what we behold, right? Um, We shape our tools and then our tools shape us. We shape our media and our media shapes us. And it's a cycle. What we stare at, what we gaze at, shapes what's inside of us. First John 3, behold, we are God's children. Now, this is the ideal for this, right? And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? 
because we shall see him as he is. You know, you hear about traumatic experiences of soldiers in wars where like what they see changes them. Um, those, it can be those one traumatic moment things. You hear about people having like, uh, like one traumatic thing they see happen. Somebody die, for example, and it sh- like just breaks something inside. Or you'll hear, you know, alternatively, it's slow. What you look at every day, what you consume every day will shape you. Again, kind of just like food. You can eat one thing that will drastically affect you. Um, you know, it's, it's poisonous, but you can also slowly consume things that will just break you down from the inside. There's a lot of comparisons here between screen and, and food, the more I'm thinking about it as I'm talking. Um, and look, this, this isn't rocket science. Um, we don't need some deep psychological or, or theological study even to understand this. I think we all know this at a visceral level. Um, Social media is a great example of this because uh, I think that's in the purview of screen time as well. I'm not talking about it as much today. I'm talking more about crafted media, but still. Um, those of you who have spent any time on social media, you know that, it's, that it can bring out things in you. Uh, for me, like I had to quit because I would just get angry about things. It's like, I can't do this. It just makes me angry. Uh, it might be lust. It might be envy. It might be greed. But we see how when we're constantly getting into any kind of media, what we consume over a long period of time starts to shape us. Um, for some of you guys that maybe, especially some of you older guys who maybe don't do social media, but maybe it's like the 24 hour news cycle, right? Where it's like, man, when I'm watching them talk about them, like it's making me angry. It's making me afraid. It's making me whatever. What we watch shapes what we talk about and what we think about and how we feel about what we talk and think about. And look, this is not a, this is not a bug. It's a feature. This is what entertainment does. It's, it's, its job is to change us. Good or intentionally creative media changes something in us. That's why it's there. From back when, you know, the first, you know, the ancient Greeks writing plays to nowadays to, to cable news and everything in between. All of this entertainment product is built to have an effect on you. That's why it exists. Um, and it can affect us short term and it can affect us long term. You know, I... I struggle with this and, and, you know, my wife and I, we'll talk a little bit about watching stuff together in a bit. We like to watch something together before we go to bed, but it's really hard because my wife can't, (laughs) anything that has a remotely, like cliffhanger, anything remotely intense, she cannot do at bedtime. She'll have like crazy dreams. She can't fall asleep. She'll be thinking about it. So it really narrows down what we can watch. Um, But that's that's the show's job. It's the job is to make you feel something and to make you think something. And so I don't find fault with these things for doing it, but what I find fault with is us not curating the things that are going to shape our character in the direction that God wants it shaped in. Um, So when you're looking at watching something for yourself or watching something with your kids, your wife, two questions real quick. What character qualities is this media celebrating? What is it making a big deal out of? Um, what is it glorifying? And then what is it bringing up in me? Now, sometimes those are the same and sometimes they're different. It can depend. Um, sometimes you'll see, you know, social media is an example of this. It might be glorifying materialism, which is bad enough in, it, in its own, but what's bringing up in me is envy. Okay. Or it might be glorifying a certain political party, but what it's bringing up in me is anger. Or it might be um, glorifying sensuality, but what it's bringing up in me is lust. So these are things we've got to watch out for 
And it's just a good question. It's like, what, what is this about? What is the end goal? What's it trying to do to my soul? Um, and what is it doing to my soul? So craft, character. Our third point I want to hit is community because we reflect God. I'm talking, remember, we're talking about how do we image God in the way we do this. God is triune. God has dwelt in this self-existent community from eternity past. We reflect God's image as we live in community. There's a reason why uh, the very next verse after when I talk about God creating man and uh, man, he says, man and woman, he created them. It took two of them to image God's nature, to, to show an element of community. Uh, it was not good that the man was alone because he wasn't an accurate reflection of God because he was alone. He was not dwelling in community. How we process screen time in the element of community reflects something about God. Look, we've all seen, and maybe we've been, that family where everybody's sitting in the room on their phone. Y'all seen that family? You've been that family before? Um, you know, even if it's just you and your wife at bedtime, just sitting there looking at your phones. Or sometimes it's the whole family. Everybody's just kind of sitting there. I've walked into rooms, my kids, uh, my kids don't have phones yet at this point. In time. They've walked into like, rooms with lots of other kids and all the kids are just sitting on their phones. And they're like, this is weird. I don't like this. You know, um, nobody really wants to be that family. If you're all going to be in the same house looking at screens, why not make it the same screen? Okay. Um, this is a big part for me. I think it affects these other, these other two elements we talked about as well. There's a, we have a big value in our family because our screen time is felt rel- relatively limited in enjoying it communally, in communing together in this. Um, three benefits here real quick. Um, number one, communal screen time helps filter for, gra- for craft. Uh, in the book, Justin says, in general... I take it as a warning sign if I can't stand watching what my kids are watching. Good stories are captivating, whether they are kid or adult movies. Now, there are other things, obviously, you're going to filter for with your kids. It doesn't mean, man, Saving Private Ryan is a great movie. Let me cue that up for Roman and traumatize him, right? Um, I'm not going to do that because there's other elements at play here. But this works better in the other direction. You should be able to sit down and watch the shows that your kids are watching and enjoy them. If they are painful to watch, it means they're garbage. Okay? Um, And yes, there are well-crafted kids shows out there. Um, You have to find them, um, but they're out there. And so you should be able to sit as a family and watch something and all laugh together or all feel affected together. Um, If you feel like it's either stupid or boring even, you're probably not challenging your kids enough in this area. Um, same thing with like read aloud books. I mean, at a certain point, you know, when you're like Clifford the Big Red Dog, you have, you have to go through a Clifford the Big Red Dog phase. Like it's just, or whatever your like kid's book is. Um, but fairly soon you want to get to good stories. Your kids need good stories. They need, because God created the universe in story and they need to understand the idea of story so they can understand God and they can understand themselves and they can understand people. That's a whole separate concept. But communal screen time filters for craft. Number two, communal screen time filters for character. Um, 
watching communally with your kids uh, can actually give open things a little bit. How many times, if your kids want to watch something by themselves, you're like, I don't know, I haven't seen that movie in forever, and I know PG back then meant a way different thing than it does now, so I'm going to say no. Um, but sometimes there's just things in shows or movies that are, that are challenging and difficult, and I don't necessarily want my kids to watch those on their own, but together with me, it's an opportunity for us to have a discussion. Um, we just read through, a part of the foster care thing that we kind of have preparing our families, we read the book and watched the movie, um, The Great Gilly Hopkins, which is about a foster kid. And, um, and both the book and the movie have some fairly like challenging content, uh, you know, almost like, objectionable content. Um, but I read it and watched it with my six-year-old uh, because I was there with him. I was there to guide him. I was there to think through these elements with him and to say, hey, do you understand what's going on here? Do you understand why this is hard? Do you understand why this is wrong? Um, sometimes parents want to like, remove anything that is, like, shows any kind of bad character from their kid's purview. But those can be Deuteronomy 6 moments where we're walking alongside them and saying, hey, Let's talk about this for a minute. Let's pause the movie. Let's talk for five minutes about what's happening here and why when you saw that happen, it triggered something inside of you. You're not sure what, like, you felt like that was wrong. Let's talk about why you felt like that was wrong. That's an opportunity for you that you only get if you're in there with them, if you're not just using it as the, as the kind of digital babysitter. Those complicated top, topics are often, for us, Deuteronomy 6 moments. Um, personally, let me just say this. Communal screen time can protect you from that slippery slope of media where I didn't set out to watch this completely inappropriate thing, but I started watching this thing. And then I watched this thing. And then I watched this thing. And I just kind of, over time, and I didn't have any guardrails on. Um, I almost never watched, I really don't ever watch anything on my own except for like sporting events. Um, and that, that's not a mandate. It's just kind of, I don't have much time for anything. Part of it's because, like, I just enjoy things better in community. Like, I'd rather watch a show with my wife. And, um, but it's also just like, man, like, I know that one thing, like, I, I want to be able to say, yeah, I would absolutely watch this with my wife and to know that 100%. So I, I just think that's wise. Um, I don't think it's, again, it's not a mandate, but for me, it's been helpful. Um, last point here. Communal screen time builds a, or helps to build a, a family vernacular. So a while back, I bought some steaks to smoke, um, slow smoke, reverse sear on my grill. And they were the, the two biggest steaks I've ever seen in my life. Um, they were just enormous. They weren't fancy steaks. They're just sirloins, but they were huge. And so I like to the point where I, I couldn't stop talking about the size of these steaks. And I mentioned to my wife, I mentioned it to my family and my daughter goes, <laughs> she says, yeah, dad, it's a big steak. Not all steaks are the same size. Now, now, for those of you that don't know, I, this is one of the proudest moments in my parenting life, by the way. This is my daughter said, not all steaks are the same size. Because that is a very obscure movie reference to Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. One of my favorite movies ever. And it's the scene where Flint is in the, in the open-top restaurant. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. And the stakes are falling. But this is when the machine that makes the food is starting to, to malfunction. It's dropping these just enormous stakes that are like flipping tables and stuff. Um, and it's such an obscure reference. And I was like, holy cow. Just 
brava, like really good. Um, you, f- you saw the opportunity, you, re- you had that in your vocabulary and you nailed it. Um, most of you did not get that joke because you haven't watched that movie in the van a hundred times. Um, so inside jokes, we can, sometimes when you're on the outside of inside jokes, you can feel left out, you know? But inside jokes, when you're on the inside of an inside joke, it's a great feeling, right? There's a sense of community that is built by having a common language. Common language is a powerful thing. Genesis 11, man decides we're going to build this tower to the heavens and we're going to take God's place, essentially. And God's like, nope. And what does God do? He could have done lots of things. He could have flooded the earth. He could have struck them all down with lightning. He's like, I'm going to mess up your language. You aren't going to be able to, you're not going to have a common language together. And it's going to frustrate what you're trying to do. There is a power for us having the same language to having the same inside jokes. Um, my wife and I, like if I use the word Sandra, anybody married to a Sandra in here by any chance? No. Okay, good. If I use the word Sandra to my wife, that has a meaning that only she and I understand because of a book. Um, there's power to that. There's community that's built in that. If I use, if I point out a bin chicken to my kids, or if I, you know, there's all these little, little references that just build build fellowship between us. And that's a good thing. There's a community that's built. I, I mean, I have jokes going back with friends from teenage years that I can say one word and there's, there's home, there's a felt community there. And that's good. God built language to do that. Um, a shared vernacular also gives us this parenting toolbox. Um, simple example, my kids watch Bluey. If your kids are between the ages of zero and 11, at least 11 as far as I've gotten so far, it may get older, you should be watching this show. Um, I tell Emmett every night to take a tactical Wii. If you, if you, if you watch Blue, you know what a tactical Wii is. It's when you don't really need to go to the bathroom, but you go just in case. It's a tactical Wii. Um, that is a TV show reference. But instead of me saying, hey, why don't you go to the bathroom? Just, I know you don't need to, but just in case, go ahead and try. Instead of saying all those words, I say, Emmett, tactical Wii, go. And he just knows, Right. Or if we're all going on a road trip, everybody, tactical we, let's go. All right. Um, on a more serious example, so one of my favorite books, this is a book-based example, but it's the same kind of idea. Um, one of my favorite books I've read to my kids is the book Hatchet by uh, Gary Paulson. And it's about a kid who gets stranded out in the wilderness and <laughs> things go very badly for him. Um, but there's a scene where he's trying to light a fire and he's trying and trying and trying with his hatchet and his flint and he's trying to light his fire and he can't get it lit. Um, and he's alone in the wilderness and he just goes and sits against the wall of his cave and cries and just cries and cries and cries and cries. And then he realizes, and the the author says, and that's when he realized that crying didn't work. It's not that it was wrong. It's just that it didn't work and that he still needed a fire. So he got up and he made his fire and I can reference this. I have a packaged kind of all in one illustration right there with my kids when they, something hard happens or when they're having a hard time doing something they need to do. Be like, look, man, this is Brian and Hatchet, man. Like, I know this is hard. It's okay to be sad about it, but we've got to make sure we get this done. And they can understand that because we have a vocabulary together that, that we share, right? Um, this communal watching of, of shows, reading of books, by the way, depending on where your marriage is, I highly recommend find a show to watch together. Find something that the two of you can consume together. When you've lived together a long time, sometimes you feel, we had, my wife and I had a lunch date the other day. And I, we just like, I felt like I didn't have anything to say. 
I just like looked. I was like, I don't know what to, what to talk about because you see each other all the time. And there's what's new. Sometimes there's not anything new. Um, a show can provide something that's regularly new. It's a it's a third thing in the conversation just to have references to to make inside jokes about. Um, you know, it can bring some of that newness from you know when you were first dating, and that's that does wear off over time. That's normal. There's if. If you keep having new things all the time when you're married, you're probably not at a good pace. It's probably scary. Um, sounds exhausting, honestly. Um, give something that's relatively benign and new just to talk about, just to, to give yourself to think through, and that can be a jumping-off point for other conversations. Um, so, yeah. So craft, character, community. I just want to encourage you guys, as you're going home, think through these ideas. I'm going to send out some ideas and some links and uh, over the next uh, couple weeks of just ideas and, and suggestions, recommendations for shows, um, um, for books, things like that. But, uh, but yeah, I want us to think through these areas. We're going to discuss in a couple minutes. Um, but I, wanna th- I want us to make sure that when you're thinking through how you're consuming media, either on your own or as your family, am I paying attention to craft? Am I paying attention to character? And whenever possible, am I doing this in community? Cool? All right, guys. Uh, take a little tactical wee if you need to. Um, now you all get the joke. Now you're all on the inside joke, see? Um, do any kind of tactical wees or refills or anything like that, and we'll sit down and talk in five-ish minutes or so. Cool? Thanks, guys.